You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, next week I'm really excited, not just because of the really good uh, bass line in that uh, video, which is pretty dope and gets me hyped every service, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm a musician, so I'm really like, duh, duh, duh. I'm like, oh yeah, let's get it. <laughs> we're all just going to jump. Um, but I'm really excited because uh, we're going to have a mission Sunday, and it's really unique anytime we do something uh, with live dead missionaries, and so um, the covering for missionaries to parts of the world, especially predominantly Muslim parts of the world where they, we can't share names uh, and faces. So you are going to hear an amazing story next week. Can I just tell you, if you're going to miss a week of church, miss one I'm speaking at. <laughs> But don't miss this one. Don't miss this one. I encourage you, join us in person, online. Do not miss uh, one of the most powerful tellings, not only of what, as it applies to us, that's neat now, but what God is doing around the world. God is on the move and doing amazing things, so don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. Um, we love her. She, she's fantastic, but man, what a great morning. Amen? Amen. I, I just, I, I'm feeling good about this morning. Uh, first service was awesome. Our worship team, oh my gosh, guys, that was just so good. I love our worship team. Nino in here bringing the beats. I just love it. I love baptisms. Um, just just incredible, celebrating what God is doing. Yeah, our security team, I'm not going to point you out because um, you just got to stay incognito, but y'all are doing awesome, helping and assisting. I'm just so thankful for you um, that we have a church that's not only uh, fun and exciting, but also safe and secure. So I'm really thankful for you guys and what you do. Um, but man, what what a great day, right? I see it's the end of the fast. Um, we've been doing 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, and it's interesting as I've been talking to people. Some people, God's been moving these like very clear breakthrough kind of you know revival esque miracles, uh, and a lot of people have been telling me um, this year has been so different, and they've been saying it in a way that I think they interpret it as a negative, but I interpret it as a great positive. So I'm gonna give you two seconds of perspective before I jump into the message. A lot of people are saying, you know what? I'm just like resting in the presence of God. I'm just feeling that weariness kind of come off me as, I, as I'm in the presence of God. Like, I haven't really seen God do, like, you know, some big thing but this. I'm like, that's a big thing, right? The goal of fasting is nearness to God. So if you end your fast by saying, you know what, I really just found that time to rest with the Lord and have patience in the presence, you, sh you should praise God for that. That is a testimony. I love what God is doing in huge and, and powerful and mighty ways. But I also love how he's moving in the whispers in the stillness, amen? I love that we have a God that moves in both ways. But uh, I'm excited to share. We were initially going to have Pastor Chris here with us for a feed one Sunday through Convoy of Hope. But they are not sending anybody on planes anywhere, understandably so. So uh, we had this unique break in our The Way series before next week, which obviously none of you are going to miss because you're excited to see how God speaks into your life, of course. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, we had this break, and it's interesting, kind of in the middle of COVID, whenever that was, like eight and a half years ago, uh, God, I feel like really like gave me this word as I was really praying about the church, because I pray for you all the time. I, I know you might come in and go out and think, I don't think about you, but I think about every one of you, and I pray over you. I wake up, and, I, and I'm praying for you. I come to this church, and I pray over this church, and I pray over your small group and over your life, and I look through the prayer list if you write prayers, and like I'm believing for good things for your life. I, I care about you, and so... Um, as I was praying for you and praying for the church, I feel like God gave me a word. He said, I've been asked in, by people, like, what do you think the biggest issue facing the church after, after or at the end of this COVID crisis is going to be? Now, I've seen lots of articles. I've seen lots of pastors post, like, you know, the biggest issue facing the church is, you know, connection online. And the biggest issue facing the church is the altering of gatherings. But I feel like I need to share, and I would invite you to just have a lot of grace with me today as I work this thought. You ever had God, like, give you a big thought, then you got to find a way to tell somebody? Like, you've been thinking about six months, and I only have, like, two and a half hours to preach to you today? Some, some your friend just got real concerned, like, what church did you bring me to, man? <laughs> I got lunch plans. <laughs> I haven't had ribs in 21 days. <laughs> Trying to get over to Broadhouse before it gets too busy. It's raining outside. There's only so many seats. All right. So have grace with me today. I'm going to give you the word that I feel like is the biggest issue facing the church. By the church, I don't mean just our church or the gathering. I mean the body of believers in specifically this city and this nation at this time. Here's the word. Resentment. 
I feel like the biggest issue that's facing us and will face us in this new season is resentment. Let me explain. When I go online, when I talk with people, you know, because I have meetings with people on what I would consider both sides of the aisle, so to speak. And I meet with a, let's say, a red person, and they meet with me and tell me, how could this blue person possibly be a Christian? And then I meet with a blue person, and they tell me, how could this red person possibly be a Christian? If Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we got to be like this and do this. If we follow Jesus, we got to do this and be like this. And I wish that, you know, there was like some middle ground here, but what I've noticed is there's mostly just resentment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't just like disagree. We like, in a primal, tribalistic sense, resent each other. We have drawn lines. Our faith is centuries old, but we have drawn like a hundred-year-old lines in the sand. And we resent each other. Depending on how you voted, you don't just disagree with the election. You resent somebody for it. I see resentment from people who say, man, if you're a Christian, you should wear a mask all the time. And people who say, man, the government shouldn't force me to wear a mask. You don't just disagree. You resent each other. You say, no, we don't. Say, I follow you on Facebook. I know you do. We have people that have lost loved ones because of COVID. And we have, we have people in the church who have lost businesses and livelihoods and futures and opportunities because of COVID. And what happens is red, blue, mask, no mask, losses on both sides. People that are frustrated, excited, happy, believing for unity for some reason, believing for re revolution or civil war. Like, oh my gosh. Then you all come to the same church and the same small group, and then we pretend that nothing's wrong. <laughs> Like, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Then you leave, you're like, yeah, you know what that guy posted on Facebook? Right? Right? We're like, hey, hey, what's up, brother? Oh, blessings to you. How you doing? Fine. Idiot. Right? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't just disagree. We, like, resent the other person. Like, you can't be a Christian if you blank. Right? I have people that, like, resent me for how we open the church. Like, Oh, you, you know, if you were a Christian, you would blank. Like, I adopted an orphan during COVID. That's like peak, peak Jesus. <laughs> Unless you can beat adopting an orphan, don't come at me about our mask protocol. <laughs> but what happens is that we get resentful. See, there's a trend. Every relationship I've ever counseled, uh, dating, engaged, married, here's the form. Bitterness leads to resentment, which leads to death in that relationship. We let that root of bitterness grow in, and we don't know what to do with it. We're messy, and all of a sudden what was little is a big deal now. They're arguing about what kind of trash bags you should use. All of a sudden, that goes into a bigger thing about how you don't care about the earth. And if you don't care about the earth, how could you be stewarding it like Jesus said? So you must not be a Christian. And I resent your attitude and that you make me do this. And why are you making me serve? And then eventually it's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. And what happens is we get resentful. It leads to the death of relationship. And so people that should be pressing into the relationship of the church pull away and just leave it to the crazies. That's our response. Our response is, man, you know what? I resent these people too much. I'm so resentful that what happens is I end up looking like this. Show this picture. When I should be out here looking like this. That's my brother, Stephen Frank. <laughs> right? We should be celebrating what God is doing, but instead we're just sitting alone in our, you know, Vermont mittens and coat stuff with receipts. And old packages. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? 
We should be celebrating, but instead we pull away. We're like, man, I, I can't be a part of that. I can't be a part of church because church people are like this, and they say this, and they do this, so I can't pull apart. And so all the people who should be pressing in, taking the responsibility of creating unity through humility, are instead in cowardice, pulling away from the relationship. And so the church is built on resentment, and we're known for things like gossip. We're known for things like infighting. We're known for things like arguing about carpet. And the I didn't even know churches split because I didn't grow up in this world of like the color of the backstage and I just want to tell you now if you get up about that they usually just leave now because I'm probably going to paint it like red in like four and a half days right you've been here long enough you know what I'm talking about I do not care I'll tear this place to the ground <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> but we live in a state of resentment so the question is, and I really believe resentment is facing the church. How do we overcome resentment? I'm joking because it's heavy, and it's heavy on my heart. So I'm trying to make it jovial. But if we really got down in the nitty-gritty, guys, we need to deal with this. We need to face it. We need to be a church that has hard conversations. Right? I just come and be like, how are you? Blessings, brother. Blessings to you. Really? You don't even like that person. You resent them. We need freedom. We need hope. We need forgiveness. That's it. How do we overcome resentment? We overcome it with, to some of you, the other F word, forgiveness. To forgive others. See, the key to driving out a spirit of resentment, to aligning our hearts with God, and unifying our hearts with other believers is not a program, it's not a building, it's not a system, it's forgiveness. I feel like we should probably pray. Can we do that? Okay, let's do it. Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we step into reading your word and walking through this, as, as we read about you, Jesus, speaking to your disciples, I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray that we would put everything on the table, leave nothing left behind, and that we would step into the freedom and power of a new life in Christ, no longer shackled by bitterness, resentment, and death. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you brought your Bibles, which, you know, I'd recommend, but if not, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 18, verse 21. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry, because we have it on the screens for you. Our incredible slides team has, has put these verses up for you, so don't worry. And if you're online, you can literally just click a tab. It's super easy. Click a tab. It says Bible, and you can go to the verse. So we're going to be in Matthew 18. So if you're going Old Testament to New Testament, when, it, when you get where it says uh, old to new, it says Matthew, and then just go 18 in, and you're there. Towards the middle-ish. <laughs> Matthew 18, 21. Okay, I'm going to read you this encounter between Jesus and Peter, and then he's going to teach us something. It says, Then Peter came up to him, to Jesus, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And right there, let me just pause. The rabbinical model for forgiveness was three times. So you were taught that you could forgive somebody. You had to forgive them three times. But at the fourth time, no forgiveness. So Peter, being the spiritual overachiever that he is, says, seven times, Lord? Because that's God's number. So he's showing how holy he is. Like, right? He's that guy that comes with, like, a small group, like his Bible, like in a Bible case. He's got every answer. He's ready to go. You got to keep shutting down to let the new people talk. You're like, we, we get it. All right, that's Peter. <laughs> He's like, seven times, Lord? And <laughs> here's Jesus' response, Matthew 18, 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is not doing like a math problem here, okay? He's not saying, like, get your chart out, get your forgiveness chart out, and if you get to 78, be like, sorry, wife, you're done. No forgiveness. Sorry, children, right? Somebody burned through that list in, like, a day. Sorry, like, that's, like, half a week for me. Like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I'm, yeah I left the socks out again. I'm sorry. There's another one. Right? Oh, another pair. I go, probably seven, all 77 would be socks, if we're being honest. I have a lot of really endearing qualities. Putting away socks is not one of my qualities. <laughs> I have a few endearing qualities, but putting away socks is not one of them. Um, what Christ is saying here is there's an unlimited sense to forgiveness. 
He's trying to give this idea. He's kind of hearkening back to Genesis. This, this idea of, of seven verses 77 times. There's an unlimited amount of forgiveness. He's saying, yeah, it's great. You want to forgive seven times. But I'm saying you should forgive without limit. And so he tells this parable to kind of speak this point. And any time we interpret and read Scripture, our number one goal is to understand what the writer and what God is speaking in that moment to who he's speaking, okay? And then as we understand what he's saying here in Scripture, then we go, okay, what is that principle that God is speaking, and how does that principle of Christ and his character apply to our lives? Are you with me? So we need to kind of look at what is he saying and maybe like cross that river of context a little bit because some of the things he's about to share in this parable are contextually they make sense but might be culturally a little shocking to us. But to them, it would have been like made perfect sense. And then we need to say, okay, what is this principle and does this apply to me? So here we go. Are you ready? Okay. Matthew 18, 23. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. It says, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, some of your scriptures might say bags of gold. You're like, why are they different? If you're new to church, you're like, wait, there's different words in the Bible? Well, yes, because as we translate from ancient languages, sometimes some translators would pick something that's a very literal word, and sometimes they would pick something that's more capturing the thought of that word, right? Anybody, if you speak more than one language, or you've interacted in this sense, you know that it's actually not super easy, even just like modern languages, Spanish to English, to get a word that is like dead on all the time. And so you can literally translate a word, or you can translate what that word means, right? So it's like, if you translate, oh, they're happy, or they're excited, or, you know what I mean, like there's a lot of ways you could go, what is he saying? So some of you, they're capturing the thought, bags of gold, it's a ton of money. The literal description is a talent. You guys understand what I'm saying? Okay. I just want you, if you're new to the faith, not to be like, wait a second. The Bible has different versions, right? It does. Yeah. Um, but a talent is a lot of money. In fact, a talent was the largest weight measurement of money that they had. It was likely actually never minted. In fact, when uh, this guy owes 10,000 talents, when Herod taxed all of Palestine, he only taxed them 8,000 talents. So in perspective, this guy owes more than a whole nation. Are you with me? A lot of money. So a talent, a great deal, a large sum. It was actually a weight. So for our perspective, it would be like a million dollars, right? He owes a lot of taxes. If you owe the IRS a million dollars, I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew 18, 25 says, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Okay, this is where we must now bridge the river of context, right? This was considered, in the world's eyes, a culturally consistent judgment that was the right judgment at the time. If you did not pay your debts at that time, you could be sold to pay for your debts. Now, there's no way he's going to, three, you know, three people or six people, however many kids he has, is going to pay this debt. But it is a, it would have been considered a, so to speak, righteous judgment in the world's eyes. Are you with me? It, it's not like this is unusual. It's like, wow, that's so harsh. If they were watching, if they were reading, they would have been like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. That's, that's exactly what would happen. If we don't give the government, they're going to get their money, which we would all go. Yeah, it sounds about right. So in this kind of ancient Near East co context, this judgment was that he had a debt he could not pay, so in the judgment was that he would have to be in slavery. There's a very clear purpose, obviously, why Jesus is saying this. But it's not about the world's eyes. It's about the kingdom, God's upside-down kingdom, how different the kingdom is from the world. And so if we keep going to Matthew 18, 26, it says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Okay, we know that's not possible. He cannot pay this debt. But he's pleading for mercy. 
And it says, verse 27, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I think that word pity um, has a weird context now because I think it's seen as like, I don't know, like a lesser term or you don't really care for the person. If you pity someone, it doesn't have like a deep love in our cultural context. It's like, I pity like the old haggard cat that's outside, but I don't love that cat. I just feel bad that it's out there, but like I hate cats, so it's not coming inside. <laughs> How it's being used here, the term being used here is to be deeply moved, specifically in the bowels, meaning your inner being, to be stirred inside. There, there's, there's notes of sympathy and compassion. In fact, the same word is used in Matthew 9 as it is in 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. The same word here. For, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the king was moved with compassion in his heart, and it says the guy was released and forgiven of the debt. No conditions. Doesn't say he put him in exile. Doesn't say he sent him out. You got to go to some far off island. He's just, you're released, you're forgiven. That sounds awesome. Like college students, you know what I'm talking about. If you showed up tomorrow, they're like, hey, student debts, released and forgiven. You're like, what's the catch? <laughs> right? Oh, you got to work in the salt mines for the next three years. You'd be like, yep, I knew it. Right? <laughs> right, but there's no catch, no conditions. Matthew 18, 28, here's what happens, right? It says, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, that's actually like a hundred days wages. So it's a, it's a pretty substantial amount of money, but it does, it's like so eclipsed by the amount of money he owns, right? He owes like a national debt, and this guy owes him like, you know, a third of a year's wages. It says, in seizing him, he began to choke him, bold, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. That sounds kind of familiar, huh? It says, verse 30, but he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So he owed millions. He meets a guy that owes him thousands and decides, I'm going to choke you and throw you in prison. What's interesting is, like, technically he ended the day on top, right? Financially speaking, if he forgave. Because he was forgiven of so much that if he forgave this amount, even though it was great, he would have ended on top. But instead, he shows no mercy and no forgiveness, and he chokes him, and he throws him in prison, which, yeah, legally he had a right to do that because the guy owed him a debt. He had a right to do that. Isn't it funny what we believe we have a right to do? I have a right to this. Okay, well, let's see how that works out. 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Uh-oh. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So basically never. He commits him to prison for life. That is a death sentence. Your debt has led to death. And I think in the scope of the parable, we'd be like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, the, the master forgave him a bunch. He didn't need to. Didn't need to do that. And this guy turned around, and he didn't forgive him at all. Like, I think we get that contextually. But can we recognize the heart here of what Jesus is trying to speak? Now, in some parables, Jesus leaves it open and leaves it here. But here, he has been very merciful to his disciples, because he's driving home a, a point, and therefore very merciful to us. And then he says exactly what he means. Verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay. I feel like we should probably read that again, yeah? Just, just read this again. This is the Bible. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a big statement. Do you ever get hit with a scripture and you're like, oh, okay. I wonder, oh, maybe I'll look at like the original language and see if that's what that means. And you do and it's like more aggressive. And you're like, oh, 
Thank you, NIV. <laughs> so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's Jesus teaching his disciples? What, what is he saying here? Before we talk about us, how's it, what is he saying to his disciples? Peter says, Jesus, how often should I forgive? How many times? How much should I count? How many opportunities should I give somebody else? Jesus is saying, is that really the scale you want to work on? Amount of forgiveness. Is that, are you sure? Are you sure that's how you want to count this? How many, you want to go on a ratio-based forgiveness scale? He says, but instead, we need to look at how Christ has forgiven all of our sins, and to follow Christ means to forgive as he has forgiven. That's what he's teaching. He's like, listen, I'm going to take away all of your sins. And so your response to me taking away all of your sins is the freedom from you also forgiving others, right? It's the freedom that comes through forgiveness. Jesus is not giving them forgiveness to punish them, but to free them. It's important. Forgiveness is important. Forgiveness shows a couple of things. First things, if you're writing notes, which I would encourage, write in your phone, write on paper, whatever you want to do, write in notes, write this down. Forgiveness shows we understand what we have received. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, says, this is how you should pray. He says in Matthew 6, 12, part of it is, forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And then he ends the prayer by saying this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Ready? But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You're like, that's kind of mean, Jesus. You don't know what people have done to me. And he's like, of course I do. I died for it. I know exactly what's going on. But it's important that as we receive forgiveness that has been freely given to us, the, the grace that has been freely given to us, that God embraces us as sinners. He steps down into our mess, into our sin, and he embraces us with his love, and he forgives us completely. How we show we recognize that we've actually received that, other than just, just random fake smoky words, is that we reflect and give forgiveness to others, that we forgive others. We forgive like Christ. Saying, stop counting and forgive as I've forgiven. So how do we forgive like Christ? Let me give you a couple ways. I want to just look at this parable. Pull it straight from there. Based upon how the master forgave. First thing, we forgive those who do not deserve it. We forgive the completely undeserved we cannot wait for someone to deserve our forgiveness before we give it, just as Christ did not wait for us to deserve our forgiveness before he forgave us. The servant couldn't pay the 10,000 talents. It was a death sentence. He could not do it. He could not cover it. No amount of work in life. I could not forgive my own sin. No matter of work on this life could do it. But Christ forgave me. I didn't earn it. There's nothing I've done to deserve it. It is because of his great love that he has forgiven me. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I love Ephesians 2. It says, You were dead in trespasses and sin in which, you once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And verse 4, one of my favorite verses in Scripture says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay, come on, let's wake it up today. Amen? Okay. Romans 5 tells us that, that while we were still sinners, God forgave us. While we were still, he says, enemies to God, he forgave us. Think on that. While we were still enemies to God, he forgave us. 
While we were still enemies to God, he loved us. Can I tell you what Christ calls us to do is not just forgive the people who are convenient, but to forgive your enemies. To forgive the people who hurt you. To forgive the people who harmed you. Not only your friends, not only the people who make it easy, not only the people who come back in the right response, the people who completely and totally hurt you. The people who do not think like you. The people who do not vote like you. The people who do not want what you want. The people who do not treat you like you feel like you deserve. That is not the condition for forgiveness. It's hard to forgive our enemies, but Jesus did it for us. And he wasn't the one that made us an enemy. We chose that through sin. But Jesus commanded us, love your enemies. Matthew 5, 4 says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me ask you a question in your life. How can you love your enemies if you don't forgive them? Then we're just pretending. I think we've had enough of pretending church. But we can't break out of pretending until we truly forgive. How can you love without forgiveness? Listen, I know someone has probably hurt you. Someone in my life has hurt me. Someone has hurt me in my life. And listen, you might feel like you are owed an apology. And the reality is you might never get one. But the person that hurts you is owed forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. You might not get an apology. You might not get—that has nothing to do with it. It has to do with you and Jesus Christ. That we forgive those who do not deserve it because Christ forgave us. He forgave me, though I did not deserve it. Amen? Not only do we forgive those who do not deserve it, we forgive freely and completely. Peter says, is seven enough, God? That's a very godly number. What about seven? I know the rule of thumb is three. I'm going up to siete, right? Seven, seven times. They've heard me seven times. Now, I'm not advocating for bad or abusive relationships. Hear me. If you hear that, that's not what I am saying. I'm not saying put yourself in positions that compromise the character and the heart of Christ, okay? Peter is asking, my brother in Christ has offended me, has hurt me. How many times do I got to put up with this garbage? And Jesus says, do we really want to keep track? Matthew 18, 27 says he forgave him the debt, no conditions. Didn't send him to exile. Didn't say, like, I forgive you, but how many of those forgivenesses have you done? I forgive you, but. The line I hear all the time is like, I, I forgive, but I don't forget. Like, then you don't forgive. Could you imagine if Jesus looked at your sin and was like, I forgive your sin, but I don't forget it. I remember it. I remember your sin. I remember it over your life. You'd be like, ah, hard pass. <laughs> For us, that's not freeing. Jesus loves you too much to let you get caught in that trap. I forgive, but I don't forget. <laughs> Someone informed me the other week, like, hey, did you know you have a Yelp page for your church? I'm like, no, I, I had no idea. Like, yeah, you have one review, and it's terrible. I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe get some people to go on Yelp, give us some good reviews. Be like, yeah, um, the, the, and so I went and read it, and it was like, I forgive them, but. <laughs> Every time I hear a but, I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> if you forgive somebody, you forgive them. Because your forgiveness does not come from you. It comes from the Lord through you. I forgive because Christ first forgave me. So I must forgive completely and freely. Psalms 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God does not harbor bitterness against you. Hear me today. God does not harbor your sins against you. God does not hold your sins against your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God is about reconciliation in your life. He is not going to lord your sins over you, hold it over you, hold it over your life, say, you're this, you've done this. You, he takes it, and he separates it as far as the east is from the west. And then he looks at us and says, see, the example I've set before you, you now do. And we're like, I wonder what he means. But God forgave completely. Can I just encourage you today? You're not 
winning any battles by holding on to unforgiveness. The only person who is losing that battle in your soul is you. The only people who are held down by your unforgiveness is you. The only heart that is burdened by your unforgiveness. You're not paying anybody back. You are only robbing yourself of the future. You are only robbing yourself of present peace by that. God wants to free you by forgiveness. He doesn't want to put you in another set of chains. In fact, he has already released you from the sin and shame. And yet, for some reason, we pick those chains back up. We're like, yeah, but I'm still going to hold on to them. Let it go. Lay it down. Be Elsa on the mountaintop. Let that stuff go, girl. Right? Build yourself a little ice castle. Hide in there for like eight years with bitterness. (laughs) Let it go. God has called you to release it. The king says, you are forgiven. You are completely released. Can I just encourage you? Release somebody today. You don't got to call them. You got to call them and be like, I release you. You're like, who? Right? I release you. You're just like waiting for some like epic moment you can post. Listen, just release them right here. Release them. You're only hurting yourself. You're only hurting your life. Not only do we forgive those who don't deserve it, we forgive freely and completely, but we forgive from the heart. As the servant falls on his face, and the master, the king, right, he pities him. He's stirred in his heart, and he forgives him. My kids love to play with lightsabers. We got these plastic lightsabers for Halloween, um, which was a terrible idea. Um, (laughs) If you have older kids, and you see me making those kind of choices, please come tell me that those are dumb choices to make. Because basically my son wants to play lightsabers constantly, and my daughter wants to play lightsabers never, which usually looks like a fun game where he just hits her with a lightsaber (laughs) over and over, and I have to be like, no, and then I have to make him say sorry. But have you ever tried to make siblings say sorry to each other? Like, I would broker a Middle East peace deal before I had to make siblings say sorry to each other. (laughs) Because they're like, I say sorry to your brother. No, no, loudly so he can hear it. I'm sorry. No, say it. And then when they get older, it's like, say sorry to your brother. Sorry, you're so stupid. (laughs) That's like such a sibling thing. I'm sorry, you're so weak. You couldn't take it. It's like, oh, good. This is going well. (laughs) Because if forgiveness doesn't come from the heart, then it's just, it's forced. And love coerced is counterfeit. Love forced, it's just, it's not real. Matthew 18, 35, right? Jesus ends the parable by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why from your heart? Because Christ is concerned first and foremost with your heart and the condition of your heart. He he doesn't want you to bring him your works. He wants to bring you, he wants you to bring him your heart. We need to recognize the forgiveness, the beauty of the forgiveness that Christ has given us. I don't know if you knew this, but what Christ has given you by forgiving you is the most beautiful and amazing and selfless gift you've ever received. And if someone has put a condition on that, let me just tell you right now, it is unconditional love. He is not keeping score. He is not keeping track. He has released you. He has freed you. And so out of that deep recognition of love, that's what we're supposed to forgive out of. It's a soft place. It's a, it's a humble place. It's a meek place. Say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. And you know what? This person might not, might not feel like they deserve it. But thank you for dying for me when I didn't deserve it. And so I'm going to forgive them as you have forgiven me. I think that's a moment of rejoicing. Thank you, Jesus, that I no longer have to carry this, but I can give it to you. I can lay it at your feet. Matthew 5, 22 says, But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. Whatever says you fool will be liable to the, fi- the hell of fire. Meaning specifically, raka, to insult their being and their person. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
Be first reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. God is a God of reconciliation. He has called us to reconciliation. He cares more about your heart than your offering. It's not that I have to forgive. It's that I get to forgive. Because forgiveness does some amazing things. It does some amazingly powerful things. Band, I'm going to invite a couple of our band members to come up today. First thing it does, if you're writing notes, forgiveness aligns our heart with the heart of God. John 13, Jesus gets down and he washes his disciples' feet. This, like, amazing, humble moment that, like, every day would be my prayer to reflect that kind of humility. It's not easy. He gets down and he washes the feet of his disciples, and he gets up and he says, if you love me, you'll do this. If you want to follow me, you'll do this. You'll do what I do. See, to walk in the will of God, to walk in alignment with Christ, is to forgive others, to reflect his heart. No servant's greater than his master. If Christ has forgiven you, and you want to follow Christ, and you want to walk in the freedom, he loves you too much to leave you in slavery, and so he's asking you to forgive. We say here, that our mission is that all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Christ. If you don't step into forgiveness, you don't step into freedom. And Christ loves you too much for that. Second thing, forgiveness builds the body of Christ. Bitterness works like a little bit of yeast through the whole dough, right? First time I ever made bread, I never used yeast before. I literally didn't understand how it works. And so I put like a bunch in because I didn't read the directions. And, you know, it was rising, doing its thing. I'm like, great. I came back an hour later. It was like pouring over the counter, right? It was like everywhere. How many of you had that? It's like you walk away for something. You're like, how did this get so out of hand? How do I have such a mess on my hands in this relationship? Often it's because bitterness has been allowed to come up through that relationship. A little bit goes a long way. That's why Hebrews 12, Scripture tells us, strive for peace with everyone. Oh, that's important. You notice how we didn't give a condition there. It's not like, strive for peace with people who are of the same political agenda as you. Strive for peace, unless it's like online, and then, you know, do whatever you want. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with the people who are hard to strive for peace for and with. Strive for peace with everyone. It says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. I love to garden. Um, if you've been around the church, you probably heard me talk about gardening. I'm a huge fan of it, and I think it speaks so much to not only how we were created, but the ministry of God. And it's interesting. I had this chicken wire kind of against the wall because I wanted uh, to protect some seed from these terrible doves that <laughs> would rob all the seed. That's also biblical. Um, and so I put this chicken wire, but what happened is like this weed grew up behind the chicken wire and I have these chunky fingers, so I can't get in and get it. And uh, so I had to let it grow up. I had to let it grow up a little bit. And I forgot that it was there because it's cold outside. I'm like, who wants to do that? And so it went to seed. And now this whole garden bed, I kid you not, in a week is covered with weeds. So I literally had to scrape all of it off, like good stuff, seedlings, all this stuff, and just right into the burn pile. Because I let something grow up that was small, but I let it go to seed, and it infected and attacked things that did not deserve to go in the burn pile, but it kind of all got washed together. I think that happens to churches sometimes. I think that we allow these seeds of bitterness to spring up, and we're like, oh, we'll deal with that later. Or what if they, what if they leave because they don't like what I have to say? Like, ah, oh, man, I'm used to that. We allow it to pop up and to spring up, and then it affects everything, and then it's like the whole body gets wiped out, and people are like, man, I can't be a part of the body of believers anymore because there's so much pain and hurt because we just didn't deal with the resentment. We got to deal with it. We have to forgive each other. We have to forgive completely and forgive freely. The body of Christ is called to stir up, not to put down. Not to choke out, not to create division, but to create unity in tough times. To be kind of the kind of people that have enough grit and self-endurance to walk through life with people who don't look and agree with you. To have, have the grit to talk to people who don't just look, sound, vote, act, put on the internet, do whatever, believe, like to walk with people through life in their messiness. 
to forgive constantly. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the reality. People are messy and need forgiveness. You are one of them. But there is no cancel culture in the church. There is no, like, people are so dumb. People are the worst. Like, yeah, you are. And I am. <laughs> right? I am I am a sinner who is also the foremost. Right? We all are. People are messy. Church is messy. But that's why we're called to forgive. Because the response is not, man, people are so messy. I don't want to be around them. The response is, man, people are so messy. I am messy. I must forgive as Christ has forgiven me so that I can build up the body of Christ. We need grace and mercy, not cancel culture. You need to go to small group with people who don't think like you. And you need to have grace and mercy. You need to sit down with people who don't agree like you agree. And you need to find a way to love them and encourage and strengthen them and be okay with church not being easy but still being important. If you're looking for an easy church, you have come to the wrong place because healthy church is not easy church. It's messy church. But we're called to give grace and mercy. But not only that, forgiveness doesn't just build the body. It testifies to God's goodness. Did you know that forgiveness is a testimony? When I used to do youth, we would do testimonies, and we'd teach kids, like, okay, how do you share what God's done? Because that's a unique thing. When you're like, how do I share what God's done in my life? And the number one go-to from every youth kid is, like, I'm going to list every, like, sin I did since, like, third grade. And so their testimony is like four and a half hours long. It's like, and in the fifth grade, like, I robbed somebody. In the sixth grade, I, you know, smoked some weed. Like, there's like going through this like huge list. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah, that is important to your story. But what people care about is what God has done in your life. What we're all hungry for is to hear, you know what? Like, I have sinned, I have fallen short, and yet Christ deeply, deeply loves me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? I love 1 Timothy 1, 15. Paul speaking says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. How many foremost do we have in here today? Come on. Come on. I am the foremost. I am a sinner. Jesus came to save me. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, it's not a black mark on your soul that you deserve forgiveness. It's a testimony. Jesus loves sinners. I am one of them. He loves me. He has forgiven me. And so God's forgiveness of my sin testify to his goodness. But it's going to be real hard to testify if I don't forgive others. How do I be missional in my life? You start by forgiving. We can't testify in love when we don't forgive. You gotta forgive your enemies so you can love your enemies, so you can testify. See, the church is meant to testify to God's immense grace and mercy. How can we do that if we're just like fighting about dumb garbage all the time? Stuff that's gonna pass away, people that are gonna die and pass away that like you're so committed to right now, but they're gonna be gone. They don't know who you are, they're not gonna remember, you're not a part of their agenda, or like you're just fighting on the internet over it. It's all going to wash away. It's all meaningless compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and his grace and mercy. How can we do that if we're, the church is known as a place of gossip? Why? Because we have not been good about forgiving. If you have been hurt by the church, can I just say, hey, on behalf of the church, we love you and we're glad you're here. And this is a church for people hurt by church. For some reason, everybody that comes into this church has been hurt by church. We're starting to see a trend. But I want to say the best thing you can do is forgive and testify to God's forgiveness. we got to give mercy. Red, blue, mask, no mask, shut down, open, wherever you want to lay in this whole thing, wherever you want to stand in this whole thing. We need forgiveness. We need to be freed from bitterness. We need to be released from the pain and bitterness. We need to let go of the past and the hurt. 
not to ignore it, but to testify to God's forgiving power. To testify that, that, listen, I might have been hurt by my family or by my friends or by my church even, but I need to release it. I need to release somebody today. Can I tell you, as I was speaking this message, these, these are hard messages because as I was speaking, when I really evaluated, I mean really, really evaluated, there are people in my life that I have not forgiven. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like in this moment, we're like, I forgive you. But when it, when you hear like something dumb they did to somebody else and they hurt him, you're like, oh my gosh, that flipping person, right? You know that unforgiveness. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you, it's a former boss. Some of you, it's a person who invested. Some of you, it's a pastor. Some of you, it's people you're like, oh my gosh, like it just uh, brings it up inside of you. Like, you know what? I have not forgiven. I forget occasionally but I've not forgiven. Can I tell you, Jesus wants to free you. He wants to release you in forgiveness. To let that hurt and pain go. To release those things and say, Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me. Holy Spirit, help me to forgive that I might lay down my offense and walk in the freedom of forgiveness today. That is the call of Christ on your life. Would you stand with me today? I feel like church and, and talking to people in the first service, there's a lot of people wrestling with unforgiveness. What I love about the church is like we can just be messy together. No one cares about appearances. I've not been around church long enough to know like if there's like certain things we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. So what I like to do is just say, hey, let's step into freedom, right? Who cares what you look like, sound like, act like? Just let's step into freedom today. I feel like God is calling us to a place of forgiveness. And some of you, you've been carrying that bitterness. And this is the moment today that you need to release that by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Lord. For the sake of your own heart and your own life, you cannot walk out these doors or click off that link without seeking forgiveness and laying down the offense. You need to lay down the offense from the church that hurt you. You need to lay down the offense from the family that harmed you, from the words that spoke against you. You need to lay down the offense from the season and the things that have been posted or said about you. You need to lay down the unforgiveness you've given yourself that you can't even accept forgiveness from Christ because you can't forgive yourself. You need to lay it down today. Completely be made new, washed in the blood of Christ, walking in hope and freedom. So I'm going to do this just a couple, couple seconds, I want to pray for you. Our band, just these few guys, are going to lead you in a song, a moment of reflection. And I'm going to invite you to an altar time today. If you're watching online, I encourage you to find a space in your room. But if you're here today, I want to make this space significant for you. That this is a place you leave bitterness and you walk out in freedom. So here's what I'm going to say. Just a couple seconds, our band's going to sing this over you. And I'm going to invite you not to wait for anybody, but to step into the freedom that God has called you to. To just come and find a space to be distanced out. Find a space at the altar and symbolically leave bitterness and unforgiveness there. Forgive those who have harmed you by the power of the Holy Spirit and walk in freedom. I want to pray for you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Jesus, we're here today because we want to walk in freedom. We don't want to walk in bitterness. We don't want to walk in hurt. God, some are harmed so deeply and wounded so deeply today. But today we ask, as we lay down that hurt and that anger and that bitterness, Holy Spirit, would you move upon our life would you lead me and help me to forgive that I might lay down my offenses and step into the freedom of forgiveness today? I'm going to invite you today to count to three just to have that moment. One, if you're praying that God will release you. Two, if you need to release somebody today. And three, would you come forward as well if you need to release yourself today? And the band's going to lead us. Come find a place in the altar today and let's pray together.